I'm reaching into my mind and, and grabbing like a, like, a, like a grab bag full of just randomness and I throw it out on the paper. So I see what I know and the instructor gets to see what I know as well. Absolutely. It's such an individualistic process. Could we call it active learning? Is this active learning? Celia? You're listening to Instruction by Design, your podcast to the art of teaching. Concept maps have had a long-standing presence in educational settings. The foundational history of this diagrammatic representation of information is most commonly linked to research conducted at Cornell University in the 1970s by Joseph Novak. Dr. Novak and team were exploring childhood construction of knowledge and abstract thinking. At the most fundamental level, a concept map is a way to document a single concept or idea as a diagram, which includes related concepts, contextual information, and most critically, the relationships or cross-connections between the components. Typically, they are organized in a top-down, hierarchical fashion. As a tool for learning, concept maps are a powerful and flexible vehicle for developing an understanding of complex topics, connecting new information to existing knowledge, and representing abstract, interconnected ideas. They are well-suited for tasks such as project brainstorming, problem analysis, free writing, exam preparation, and even preparing for collaborative projects that require a basis of common conceptual understanding. In fact, there's quite a body of educational research that explores the positive benefits of concept maps, including aspects of knowledge generation, relational conceptualization, and effective study habits. In business and healthcare sectors, concept maps are employed to capture workflows, staff role responsibility scope or overlap, production processes, task prioritization, and market models, to name a few applications. But what about other types of diagrams or terms for similar approaches? A common term that is sometimes used interchangeably even in academic research is mind map. However, as documented in a 2006 comparison study by Martin J. Epler, Mind maps are structured somewhat differently and may be thought of as somewhat less formal and more abstract. Instead of a hierarchy with cross relationships, a mind map is typically formed in a radial diagram with the key idea or concept in the center and spokes or arms with subtopics radiating outward. The interrelationships between components may not be an essential component of the map. There are also many discipline or task-specific formats that utilize standardized shapes or layout schemas to indicate contextual information such as decision junctures, information typology, or other attributes. Essentially, these are all forms of visually representing or mapping information. Another term that many educators may be familiar with is a graphic organizer which can be used to generally indicate any type of visual diagram that expresses concepts, ideas, knowledge, and or relationships. More specifically, it often indicates that many components of the diagram use images or symbols to replace or enhance written words or description. Additionally, with the rise of digital media and social media over the last 20 to 30 years, infographics have emerged as an extremely popular form of information visualization for quickly and clearly conveying complex information such as numeric data and statistics. Although there are endlessly diverse formats, styles, and use cases for visualization techniques, it is clear that both exploring and producing concept maps can be a powerful tool for effective learning. 
Welcome to this episode of Instruction by Design, your podcast to the art of teaching. My name is Jeanette Senecal from the Academic Innovation Team at ASU's College of Nursing and Health Innovation. Joining me today are my colleagues, Celia Katretiwa, Aaron Kraft. All right, well, let's dive in. First of all, I'm very curious to learn if either of you have any experience with concept mapping as a learner or a teacher. Have you used them individually or collaboratively? I will start out by saying when I first started teaching in K-12, um, we started out with graphic organizers, which then moved into mind mapping. And concept mapping was kind of weaved into all of that as a separate entity. But what do you mean by graphic organizers? What is that exactly? Yeah, well, that was the thing. Like when I, I remember when mind mapping first got started and thinking in my mind, this is just another graphic organizer. Like it's just a new name for them. It was a laid out map or organizational method for teachers to create ahead of time and then provide it to the students to kind of fill in the blanks. So like a template? So yes, yes, a template. Yeah. A visual representation. Yes. A graphic. Whereas it went from creating that ready for the student to fill in to, okay, you're starting now with a blank sheet. You're going to be the creator of this as you start to think about the information. They created their own graphics? They created their own map of flow. The oh, they created their own mind map. Mind map, yes, mm -hmm. their, their flow of thinking. Although we guided them, there's several different styles of mapping, concept mapping being one of them. We would guide them to the type of mapping that they would create. So let's say we were um, defining a vocabulary word that would look a little bit different than what a flow chart would look like. So it was teaching them how to kind of map them. You call that a graphic organizer? In the beginning, yes. I mean, when we were creating the templates for them and they were just filling in the blanks, yes, that was a graphic organizer. But when we started to teach them how to actually create these and and again, mind mapping was still new at that time. I mean, it was a it was an initiative to push out in the schools and everything had to be mind maps. We were going completely away from providing graphic organizers to the students are creating these mind maps. Well, what's the difference? They sound like exactly the same thing with a graphic organizer. You're giving them that shell to fill in with oh. a mind map. They're starting it. They're, you you're guiding them, everything, but they are creating, yeah. They create it on their own with your guidance, as opposed to you giving them a template with graphics already uh, Yes, and by graphics, it might be bubbles or boxes that say, put this information in this box, mm -hmm. put this information in this box. Uh, so it really was a precursor to the mind map. Yes. Interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, so I remember when I started my graduate program, in 2012, my very first class, my very first assignment was to create a mind map of what the particular subject matter of that course was. I think it, was, it has something to do with online learning. Uh, what my experience and understanding of that was at the moment, just at that point in time, there was no right or wrong answer. I just merely had to put onto, I would say paper, but technically it was a Word document, you know, my uh, ideas and connections to the topic of uh, online distance education or something to that effect. And so, of course, I scoured Google and I looked for a tool that would uh, allow me to do mind mapping for free, which <laughs> there are plenty, by the way. A quick tip, if you want to find some tools out there, start with Google. It's definitely your best friend. But uh, so I did that. I turned it in and the instructor actually liked what I did, which surprised me because I thought that's a good sign. My first assignment of my graduate program and the, the uh, 
instructor use my map as an example uh, to the others like okay you can put yours together like this because i guess some of the other students had some uh, questions well that's a win <laughs> very nice i was happy about that well both of those examples i think have perfectly highlighted that there's a lot of confusion around the terminology mm -hmm. when i started to gather some resources to to build the introduction I came to the realization that I originally believed that concept map and mind map were interchangeable terms. Synonyms. Can we say Yeah, synonyms? exactly. So there, the semantics around these concepts are a little murky, quite mm -hmm. frankly. And sorting out what you mean by any particular term is probably your first task when you're going to be using them as an instructor. As a learner myself, in my graduate program, a lot of the summative projects were required to either use a concept map as a drafting mechanism to illustrate the parts of the project, or sometimes it was also an included artifact as far as documenting the process of building a project or, or deliverable. And some of those were individual um, mind maps, and some of them were collaborative within student teams. And it was always really interesting to me as a student when working with teams and understanding that nobody has a shared mental model on what the heck we were supposed to be doing. Like we really had to go back to basics and try and figure out like how to negotiate, I guess, if you will, a shared understanding of what we needed to do. As a parent, it's been interesting to me to see my daughter, um, maybe not so much in terms of like an assessment capacity, but they definitely at her school challenge students, I think, to graphically display their understanding of certain topics and sometimes it's a form of pre-assessment just as you were saying Aaron to figure out where they're at in a particular place and certainly I think our our elementary school food web conceptualization like biology topics is often maybe their first exposure to that kind of of thinking yeah I really appreciate it as the pre-assessment in a sense for myself if for anybody else I don't always know what I know and don't know the term tacit knowledge uh, applies to me, I think, double fold, <laughs> because sometimes I'm not even aware of how much I can uh, grasp a topic or how much I've learned and accumulated over the years. Yeah. And then putting uh, throwing out a, a mind map, I say throwing out because that's what it feels like to me. It feels like I'm taking I'm reaching into my mind and, and grabbing like a like a like a grab bag full of just randomness. and I throw it out on the paper. But doing that helps me to see, oh, like I, I do understand this. I do understand this. And then uh, how do I link it together? And so I see what I know, and the instructor gets to see what I know as well, which helps them to maybe determine how to, how to go along with the instruction in their class. Absolutely. It's such an individualistic process yes, to create one. Yeah. So technically, could we call it active learning? Is this active learning? Celia? It depends on how it's being presented. I mean, if you're just being given you know, a paper and saying, okay, show me what you know on this paper... It's active, but it's not like when I think about more active learning techniques, it's the students taking the information, doing something with it and then sharing it out and like really being able to do some more collaborative thinking, cooperative learning types of things. So I'll go with a yes and a no. So it sounds to me like perhaps you're seeing it as like a sliding scale. Active learning is a sliding scale and mind mapping might be on one particular side of that scale. It may not be full-blown active learning where the student is fully engaged at, at many different levels, but it, it's definitely not static passive learning either because they are having to reflect upon what they know 
and create something with it. So surely there is that active element to it. Yes. So let's say you take um, your course and you say, okay, I want, you know, a group of you to create a, a map over here and this group to create another concept map on this and then let's share them. That to me is more active mm -hmm. um, than just being given a paper and saying, okay, fill out, fill out this paper and I want to see what it is you know through a mind map. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, my course, opinion. Sure, sure. Well, we're looking at it from a pre-assessment standpoint. What about an assessment? As an assessment, like what did you learn throughout the course? Well, what's your learning objective? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Is that part of a deliverable that demonstrates or in some way verifies that a competency level has been achieved? I mean, I think that really might look quite differently depending on your, your subject area. That's for the instructor to determine, I imagine, to some extent. But it's reflection, and reflection is an essential component to, say, constructivist learning theory. Definitely. Right? Yeah, it's a and good point. Isn't the constructivist learning theory inherently an, considered an active learning, or is under the umbrella of active learning? Because you're creating your own knowledge through your own sort of engagement with the subject matter? Yes, that's a that's a fair statement, especially in terms of that individual individualistic nature of connecting new knowledge to existing knowledge mm -hmm. and building up your own networks of knowledge. Mm -hmm. That's very much in line. Networks of knowledge. That's what this mm -hmm. is. You're creating a network. Mm -hmm. Well, Aaron, you opened the door to talking a little bit about tools, actual applications that can be used for building mind maps in a digital kind of capacity. Uh, what are some of the tools that that you've tried and, and enjoyed? I know that the HCI program uses uh, MindMeister for their mind mapping tool, um, and they use it heavily with concept mapping specifically. In the monologue, and I'm, I'm going to come back to this with the vocabulary, my, my own understanding is that a concept map is a type of mind map. I'm just trying to make sure that I'm very clear on how like the difference between the concept and mind map because I am question. I think as I'm listening to myself I am using it interchangeably but I see it more as a type of mind map versus concept map versus mind map does that make sense well geez this is a good question is there a difference between concept mapping and mind mapping there are very there are different types of mind mapping I mean like I said going back to you know defining a vocabulary word versus um, creating a more flow chartish type of mind map there's differences there and i see the same thing with a concept map um, being different from those other types of mapping so we need a unifying taxonomy of information visualization and the relationships and subtypes of maps apparently mm -hmm. and I, I actually think that there are a lot of examples even in the research literature where that's not been firmly nailed down maybe mm -hmm. that's our next scholarly project guys but my brain hurts already thinking about it. But in looking at a couple specific resources, which we'll uh, include with our show notes, it seems like there's not necessarily a subtype relationship captured between a mind map and a concept map. Mm -hmm. It may come down more to qualitative differences in how they're used and mm -hmm. the role that they may take. Again, the idea of a concept map being a little bit more formal, a mind map being a little bit less formal potentially. Mm -hmm. And a concept map in particular being organized more in a hierarchy and especially emphasizing the relationships between pieces of a concept map 
where a mind map might just be more throwing everything at the wall and connecting individual concepts to a main concept. So the interrelationships may not be as articulated, but you're absolutely Mm -hmm. right. People use the terms interchangeably. Well, and to be fair here, I didn't learn until yesterday (laughs) when I was preparing for this podcast. (laughs) You got to come up, you know, you got to bring something to say, you got to bring something to the table. (laughs) I learned that there was a difference between concept maps and mind maps. Uh I didn't think there was. I had been using them interchangeably all these years. Yeah. But apparently there is a big difference. Uh, Well, big. There's a distinct difference. I'll put it that way. So... As Jeanette said, a concept map is a little more formal mm-hmm. in flavor. You start with, and it's hierarchical, so you start with the main concept at the top and then eventually ends with particular examples. Yeah. And then there's all the stuff in between you know, mm-hmm. that sort of links those things. Um, whereas a mind map is more maybe like a spider web, at least in my mind I see it that way, where you have a central point, that's the main topic, and then you branch out from that central point with related ideas where they're similar is that they're both uh, they're both a no, uh, under the node link paradigm they're both a node link system so Correct. i had to look up what node meant because I, I get it maybe but i don't really know how to explain it so I, I looked up what a node was so n-o-d-e and it's a point at which lines or pathways intersect or branch or a central or connecting point and so mm-hmm. both concept mapping and mind maps follow that node link design pattern. Mm-hmm. But the concept map is more uh, formal. Con- it's concept based and it's, um, it's hierarchical, whereas the mind map is you just how, how do things relate in your mind? So as a writing teacher, and this is why I keep going interchangeably when I think about mapping, because I just think about mapping in general versus the type because let's say in in k-12 teaching writing and getting students prepared we start with a bubble map and that's just a throw up of ideas and coming up with you know everything you can that's going to relate to your writing prompt then it's a decision of okay you choose what you want now what kind of mind map are you going to create out of this is it going to be a first, second, third, or a concept map where you're breaking it down into, into segments? Or is it going to be a um, storyline with a beginning, a middle, and an end? You know, the, it's creating a decision on how that thinking needs to be laid out. So as I'm talking, it takes me back to that kind of thinking. So in gen- I think of mind mapping in general and then, you know, that and concept mapping is part of that. It's just in the way you're mapping everything out. But in mind mapping to me and um, is is actually. For my for myself, it's above the concept and then the concept is a sub mapping of a bigger mind map. Does that make sense? Like the mind mapping is the is at the top and then concept is a type of a mind map. Even though it might look different because of all the bubbling concept mapping so takes you're, the piece. Well, I hate to pop your bubble. <laughs> <laughs> Which bubble us is another tool? Going back to the tool question. Going back to the, I want to go back to the tool question. Yes. Yes. So I use bubble us. I used to. I used okay, to use that. Yeah. Um, so and I found that through um, Google. Mm-hmm. And what was nice is I could connect my, I could sign in through my Facebook account. So yeah. I didn't mm-hmm. even have to create a whole separate, uh, you know, ID login. I could just use Facebook. 
uh, right now, what am I using? It's called Go Conquer. And okay. it's like G-O-C-O-N. I think it's just Q-R. Mm -hmm. And I, I like that one. I've used several different tools throughout the years, though, and each of them have their pros and cons. All of them have been free, though. You, yes. I've, my, in my experience with the free versions, you get to make maybe three yeah. mind or concept maps. And then if you want any more, you have to pay. I don't pay. I just delete my first one. <laughs> right. Or I'll take a snapshot of it, delete it, and then you know, recreate it in the, in the software. But I've also built mind maps in Microsoft Word. Yes. The, yeah. Uh, what, what is it called? It's not clip art. The smart art. Smart art. Smart, smart art. Because yeah, then you, you decide which type of of tool you want to use. Right. Well, I, I go and I choose mm -hmm. a circle or an oval, and I, I put it into the paper, and I, I choose a color mm -hmm. for it. Right. Mm -hmm. And then put a little text box in, or maybe it lets you automatically type in. I'm not sure, but it, basically, it's really quite simple. Now. In terms of organizing the information, it's not quite as intuitive as these dedicated tools, but you can still do it with a simple Word doc program. Absolutely. And, and PowerPoint, too. I mean, any oh, of yeah. the, mm -hmm. the Office Suite tools, they have similar drawing functions where you can really DIY a, a pretty diverse yes. concept map. Mm -hmm. Google has a Lucid chart that you can yes. as an extension, and I enjoy exactly. using Lucid chart. Lucid chart, mm -hmm. that's a good one. Yeah. yeah, and Lucid chart also one of the reasons that I've enjoyed that is you can be collaborative. You can easily share. I know Bubble yeah. Us, you can share maps as well, but it's a little more complicated. Um, <clears throat> whereas Lucid chart, it's really easy to collaborate and have multiple editors and contributors. Yeah. So those are those are all good exemplars of tools. What about your non-digital approaches? I know Celia mentioned like paper templates that mm -hmm. potentially if you're guiding a young learner. But what are other ways, like if we were in a, a you know, face-to-face -face classroom and there were some brainstorming activities or something, like what are the tools and pathways that you would use other than a piece of paper? Oh, geez. I always enjoy walking into Jeanette's office and seeing sticky notes in a concept <laughs> map <laughs> style. Notes. That's good. Yes, yeah. she has. Um, I've seen her create designs with them. <laughs> oh, yeah. But I've also seen where she's had them mapped out. Like you could clearly see that she's been doing some thinking and some brainstorming and yep. throwing pieces up there. So. Guilty admission. I have love playing with these tools simply for the colors. <laughs> <laughs> you can create like these color palettes and it's quite uh, if, if you really put a lot of time into creating like this sort of complex webbing of interlocking uh, ideas and relationships. Mm -hmm. It can be really pretty to look at, and it can be very useful. So you can kind of, you know, get. That's a good point. There is a certain aesthetic to to doing that. Mm -hmm. uh, another one in the face to face classroom is um, just simple index cards that people can write things and then mm -hmm. arrange them. It may not be something that you. Well, I guess that's true. Of sticky notes too. You might not walk out of the classroom with per se, but as a brainstorming activity or something like that, you have a lot of flexibility. In doing that, also just simple flip charts and whiteboards, just having a place for people to mm -hmm. tinker and write things down at the end, maybe take a snapshot of it. I think once or twice as a teacher myself, I had the students throw out ideas to me and I would write them on the uh, whiteboard. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and, and link them together like a, nice. like a mind map. Yeah. You know, it, it's different when you're doing it as a group. And I wanted to actually follow up because I've never, at least that I can remember, I don't think I've ever created a mind map or a concept map with a group of people. It's always been me, mm -hmm. right? My, in my head, with my thoughts, with my ideas. What is that like to have to connect ideas with other people? Because I'm surely, surely there's points where you don't agree, but there's probably other areas where you 
are enlightened to something you never even thought of before. Well, I, I can share one example from, again, from my graduate program, which is probably not at the higher end of Bloom's taxonomy, but in a practical way, we use the collaborative concept map to divide up the portions of a shared project. And then we saw in some cases where there was a little bit of overlap. So maybe out of a group of five, there were two of us that would need to connect to work on a particular slide or a subcomponent of the presentation. So it became a way to keep us organized, but also to see where we needed to collaborate in twos and threes. Well, you still had your own section that you were responsible Correct. for of a larger yes. piece. Mm -hmm. I see. Okay. Okay. Conquer I think that's probably the same divide, way that I've seen it in, in collaborative efforts. It's just like that, where you're separating the parts of the concept map and then creating it on your own, but then bringing it back together with the group. Is it inadvisable to just say... Here you go. Here's your here's some markers. Here's a large piece of poster board. Have at it, you group of people, and let them all go at one single. You know, where you're not subdividing into areas and responsibilities, but where everybody's just uh, contributing to the one. Well, that's main where you board. get um, ownership, group ownership. They decide how it's going to work out. If they should decide that it's going to be separated by um, by pieces of the concept. Or if they are going to collaborate and do all of the thinking all together and create it all at one time, that's completely up to them. But I that's... have this vision of it turning into, uh, what is that, Flies, uh, Lord of the Flies, where people fight for, you know, the resources, fight for the markers, fight for more space, <laughs> and it, it becomes a, you know, Only in a group of... with you, Chaos. <laughs> Pandemonium. <laughs> Sounds like fun. <laughs> Maybe I should stick to just me doing it. <laughs> Wow, didn't see that coming. Uh, all right, next question. Uh, you know, we touched on in the introduction that there's there's quite a body of research, um, especially particular to education. But honestly, I don't see the strategy used a lot in day-to-day -day teaching practices in higher education. Why do you think that is? And what are the barriers for integration? You don't need it all the time. You I was like, what? You don't need it? Wait. <laughs> You don't, okay, I think we, in my opinion, we discussed it earlier, you have pre-assessments, maybe given at, the be, given at the beginning of the course or beginning of a project. I, I think it can be used as an assessment tool as well, and not just reflex, reflection, but as an actual assessment, of, you know, so the instructor can see what does the student know. You know, it mm -hmm. becomes a visual representation yeah. of what the student has learned throughout the course, and the instructor can sit there and look at it and say, oh, this is how they conceptualize, this is the schematic that they've built through what I've been teaching them over the, the, the year, right? So I think it can be reflection or the assessment itself. I see them as being very useful, um, especially with larger concepts that are harder to understand. I think that they, are, they aren't used as much, most likely, because they are a little harder to create and harder to understand. And... Already, I mean, just in this podcast, I talked about the the confusion and the differences and we, you know, touched on that. So the, I think that's also part of it is that there isn't there might not be um, a lot of understanding on how to use it effectively. So that, you know, is a potential barrier as to why it's not used more often. That's a good point. I was thinking about this the other day and, you know, 
there's quite a movement in pre-licensure nursing education for a concept-based curriculum approach. In fact, our college has been moving toward a concept-based curriculum. And I was thinking, where does this intersect in a way that at that kind of global level, our students presented with a mega map of all the concepts that shows the interrelationships that extend beyond the boundaries of a single course? Is there some is there some way there that at a micro level then within a course, they might think about those core concepts and implement them in the work that they do as a learner? I don't know what the answer to the question is, but it did occur to me. It seems to me that it, recently this idea of displaying or representing information in a graphic format has become more and more popular. Uh, what comes to mind immediately are these uh, infographic style resumes. Yeah, that mm -hmm. seem to be trending lately. Mm -hmm. And when I say lately, I would like the past five years or so. I know my wife, she when she first saw one a few years back, she immediately fell in love with the idea and she went to create her own. And there's already tools on, on the Internet mm -hmm. that help you create yeah. a graphic resume. Mm -hmm. Like You don't even have to sit and make your own icons or, or whatever. You can go and there's already tools there to do that. So obviously this idea is taking off. Now, the idea about a, a, a graphic syllabus mm -hmm. or even and that's at the class level but maybe at the program level being able to visually see the connections between the course you're taking now how it relates to the previous course you took and the other ones you're taking at the moment and the ones you'll take in the future i i imagine there's a lot of potential with that idea though i gotta say i think the whole badging initiative mm -hmm. or, you know the whole badging thing is also related it's or it's doing that it's it's a visual representation um of of where you've been and where you're going in a sense so your network of badges could in essence be a kind of map and like a concept map Seems to like demonstrate it. yeah there's definitely a connect there one of the things that i learned in gathering some resources as well in terms of making connections apparent to students within a course is articulating what the alignment is. So one of the exemplars they used is um, having students utilize a concept map format for preparing for exams and giving them some exemplars to start with. And as they, bego they begin flu building fluency with concept mapping, that they understand that topics A, B, and C are on exam one, and then they go forth and use it as a study um, preparation tool to be on task, if you will, and not overlooking or or whatever the different components that go with the exam and another thing that emerged another theme that emerged was that sometimes students struggle and i think this is not particular to concept maps but they want to know what the right answer is what mm -hmm. is the right answer or did i do a task correctly and a lot of times concept maps are much more abstract and individualistic so the, one of the recommendations in this faculty focus article is to Find means to provide feedback, even if it's not necessarily a graded assignment, but if you're using it as a brainstorming prop or an organizational prop for a project to provide a little bit of written feedback so that there's a return on investment, if you will, and it helps get students away from this. There's one right answer mindset. OK, so this is where I'm curious. <clears throat> my, my understanding of a concept map was that it was much more prescriptive, that there was a definitive concept and relationship link to that concept, whereas the mind map could be more mm, individualized and be more uh, subjective. 
another flavor of our unifying taxonomy for mm-hmm. mind maps and concept maps. M- my reading interpretation would suggest that concept maps can still have room for individualistic interpretation, mm-hmm. especially when envisioning where there are relationships between and across subconcepts. That yes, mind maps are thought of as more internalized. But concept maps still have an element of subjectivity to them. Mm. Learning more and more every day here. Every moment. Well, any last tips, tricks, or reminders for those considering concept mapping with their learners? I love what you brought up about maybe using these, uh, like like a a mind map or concept map techniques as preparation for something, like Mm -hmm. an examination, for example, because... Ever since I did my first mind map, I loved it. I loved the idea. And to make the implicit explicit and to remind me of what I know. And it also encourages me to expand out uh, because I can see where maybe the gaps are, right? Yeah. So I will create a mind map every single time I'm asked to give a presentation. Great example. Right. Mm -hmm. So I've been asked to speak. Well, I (laughs) asked... I, I uh, applied to speak at the DTL, the Distance and Teaching Learning Conference in Madison, Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. And so I got accepted and now I'm putting, oh, I put together a mind map. I have my presentation ready, but it started with a mind map. I've been asked Very cool. to speak for the professional pedagogy series here at ASU later this year. And the first thing I'm going to do immediately after my presentation in Wisconsin is done is go back to my hotel room and start creating a mind map for my presentation for, for the professional pedagogy series. So, and I, I would suggest that it's a fantastic way to pull everything out because it's not structured. It's just free form. I, I can just put it on paper. I don't have to worry about it being graded. I just can relax, get all the information flowing and then start structuring it and hopefully have something that's holistic and useful to the, to the listener. Pre-organizational task. That's a very good example. Thank you. I wouldn't be surprised if you start to see or if instructors see more students doing notes in a mind mapping sort of way or a concept mapping sort of way on their own, just in coming from K-12 and knowing that a lot of the um, tested objectives that are happening, the standards are becoming more abstract and they're looking more at how the learner thinks versus concrete evidence uh, of or concrete answers, you know, just getting to a, a complete answer. Um, students more and more now are having to use a lot of those those uh, methods of showing how they're thinking or what they're what they're thinking on paper to show their work. It's like, you know, type of thing. Your math teacher says Write out how you got the answer. Don't just yes. give me the answer. I want to see your show me. show me how you got to that conclusion. Maybe is it the same thing? Yeah, it's exactly. Yeah. So process mm-hmm. and product and yes. also things like, well, I guess you might say soft skills when we're talking mm-hmm. about like the affective domain. Um, you know, can you can you demonstrate your understanding of an ethical concept? There's no arbitrary factual right or wrong necessarily, mm-hmm. but there needs to be a way for some somebody to articulate where they stand particular issue. Well, team, we still managed to explore and reflect on a wide range of issues related to concept maps and information visualization in general. 
Thank you for sharing your insights, experiences, and recommendations for how to implement this learning tool in a meaningful and effective way. And if you, our audience, would like to share your favorite strategy for implementing concept maps, feel free to reach out to us on Twitter or by email. We love hearing your creative ideas. Thank you for contemplating concept maps with Celia Kochwatiwa, Aaron Kraft, and myself, Jeanette Senegal. <laughs> you can reach us on Twitter at IBD underscore podcast. That is IBD, as an in instruction by design, underscore podcast. Or you can email us at instructionbydesign at asu.edu. To find previous episodes, please visit our website at links.asu.edu slash IBD underscore podcast. This podcast was produced by Arizona State University's College of Nursing and Health Innovation. It's coalescing into a greater a greater sum, maybe? Jeanette's making a face. What, what is that face? <laughs> I don't know. I lost a thought. It's okay. <laughs>